0: And we are live. Well, we're not live. We are here today <laughs> with uh, with Donnie Irving. I'm just getting to know Donnie. Uh, how you doing tonight, Donnie? Good. Good. Awesome. Before we get this kicked off, I want to just say a quick message from our sponsors. Uh, this episode is brought to you by uh, your friends, aka yours truly at Nest Mortgage Group. Um, for all of those out there with mortgage needs, um, we can help you. If we can't do it, it probably can't be done. Uh, go ahead and uh, send an email to justin at ncllending.com. Again, that's justin at ncllending.com. And uh, we can go ahead and help you out with all of those mortgage needs. Uh, great and small. So anyway, um, yeah, so I, 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 the one thing I don't like about the podcast is having to go out and like get sponsors and raise money and generate revenue and stuff like that. So I'm just like, you know what? I'm just gonna sponsor this thing myself. <laughs> so here, here's what I wanted to do tonight, Donnie. Um, you uh, run a found own run. I don't know what the correct lingo is. You you operate a foundation called Community Kids, um, and th- I want to hear your a little bit about your background, kind of uh, where you're growing up, and then what you guys are doing today in the community, um, and just kind of what what that's been like. So have you, are you originally from the Grand Rapids area then?
1: Nope. Originally from a small town, Delton, Michigan. Just small country town, about an hour south, east of here.
0: Okay, sounds good. So that's down towards, in between Kalamazoo and here, somewhere yep. in between yep. Delton. Yep. I feel like I've been there before. A Little small town. Yeah, yeah. You would, if you blink, you miss it. Okay. <laughs> that sounds. I'm from Northern Michigan, yep. and so I'm very familiar with uh, the rural areas. So what brought what brought you to Grand Rapids? Uh,
1: college. I went to Cornerstone University. Okay. And uh, studied uh, youth ministry and Bible at Cornerstone. Okay, and so that's kind of what uh, brought me up to Grand Rapids.
0: Okay, awesome. And so and you stayed. <laughs> yep, and I stayed. <laughs> yeah. Yep. How How old are you, by the way? I am thirty four years I'm old. Thirty four. Okay, cool. So, um, and you're still working in what you got your degree in? Yeah, kind of. It's way different than what I thought it would be. I agree, because uh-huh. you guys, it's it, very unconventional. Because I've I've been in and out of different youth ministries my entire life. Um and I don't honest to God, I don't know much about you. I think you you came to Crossroads, I believe, and did a presentation. Um, God, this must have been two, three, four years ago, maybe. And um <laughs> this is kind of funny, but um when you go to uh Crossroads website to 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 donate or to tithe or whatever, there's a bunch of different options. And there's this community kids option on there and I didn't know what it was, but like there was, there was like five things to pick from. So I just picked that and I like a long time ago, I set up a recurring reoccurring donation, but then I started getting all these emails from you talking about like what you guys were doing in the community. And, um, and then I added you on Facebook and we kind of started to talk back and forth a little bit. And I was, and just based on what I've seen you post about, you're really in the fight.
1: Yeah. I feel like, Definitely, um, you know, even though I'm kind of directing the organization, I'm definitely on the front end of um, a lot of stuff. I'm on the front. You know, I think we're all kind of, all, all Christians are called to be on the front lines, but definitely in the thick of the
0: battle. Absolutely. Before we get too much into that and what you're doing right now, I kind of want to get the get the backstory. So, where did um? So you go to Cornerstone uh, Youth Ministry. When I think ministry, I think of uh, bonfires and and sitting in a circle playing guitar, kumbaya style. Um, and I don't know if maybe did you do that kind of youth ministry for a while, or did you did this community kids idea kind of fall into your lap? How did everything get started? Yeah.
1: So yes, yeah, so that's a very good question because. I actually originally wanted to be the Kumbaya campfire, um, you know, kind of the fun, loving kind of youth group. And so that's kind of my original intentions was to find a job of that nature. And then after college, just struggle finding the job and then end up uh, working at a factory for a little bit. And then kind of just, it was during the housing market crash about 10 years ago, maybe almost 11 years ago now. Uh, where I just noticed that housing prices were ridiculously low and I was renting. And so I just like searched on the internet, cheapest house in Grand Rapids. And I bought the cheapest house for $9,000. Get out of here. Yep. So actually, for the whole mortgage, <laughs> I mean, you're into mortgages, but you can't very be
0: very aware of how crazy that is right yep, now. Yep.
1: And so uh, I actually borrowed some money from a few friends and we end up just buying the house. we skipped the whole mortgage process. No kidding. <laughs> yep, and so just borrowed some money um and just uh bought the house with cash.
0: So was it was it like a like an a, like was it in okay shape or was Yeah, it, it was it, uh, it was in decent shape. No kidding. Yep. No kidding. That's yep. crazy. <laughs> it, it's Yeah, you
1: know, especially you're knowing like a little bit of the market now. Absolutely. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So that's so like $9,000 now is like mm-hmm. whoa, you would never in your dream finds anything like that.
0: Oh, for sure. And I and I my first house that I bought is probably not terribly far from where you live or where where yeah. that house was. I don't know. Do you still live there? Yep, I still live there. Okay, it. cool. Um <laughs> yeah, that's probably appreciated a little since, yep, <laughs> since yep. you bought it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So
1: yeah. And so it's kind of moved in, uh you're just looking for cheap place, you know you know cheap house. Didn't want to run anymore. Um, all about home ownership, mm-hmm. and uh, end up moving in. But it was kind of during that time. it's kind of a little bit rougher. Um, I mean, you're kind of a little bit, kind of on the outskirts of a little bit of the southeast sure. side. Yeah. Uh, you know, some activity. Uh, you know, you know the gang activity. I wouldn't say it was organized, but there was just kind of a little bit of this. Um, you know, there. You know, just a few weeks after moved in, a SWAT team um, that like. Went right across the street from my house, raided the whole place, uh, just the different things like that, and also, um, you know, when I moved in, there's a little bit of a resistance towards
0: me because they thought I was wired by the cops. Okay, and so so what you're saying is is that you're a white dude mo- moving into a predominantly black neighborhood, basically.
1: Yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so it was, um, you know, just kind of this. A bit of a resistance and then even the resistance to the point where, you know, received some threats and even some death threats. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. So one guy threatened to, um, you know, take my life and blow my head off the next time I was strapped with a gun because he just did not
0: want me being in the neighborhood. No kidding. No kidding. So th- let me, let me backtrack a little bit. So um, th- with, th- when, when you first, when you decided to buy there, was that even on your radar? Did you even think that it yeah, was going to be a problem? No,
1: I came in really naive. Okay. Just kind of thinking, oh, it's a house and a neighborhood. And you kind of look at the neighborhoods. You just think it's just normal residential neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I didn't really know. And this is like, now I know, there, you know, over 50% of the houses in the area, even though it's, you know, single family homes, they're, um, over 50% are rental homes. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, you know, didn't realize that at the time and just kind of, came in very naive to the situation then i remember looking on the um i kind of scared myself a little bit i looked on the crime map yeah <laughs> that's a great way to
0: make yourself paranoid
1: yep and i was like whoa uh everywhere around me there's like armed robbery armed robbery um home invasion mm-hmm. and i was like whoa what am i getting myself into <laughs>
0: oh that's funny so how did you acclimate yeah i mean i kind of uh i went through acclimated
1: through, uh, kind of more of the school of hard knocks, you know, just kind of didn't really acclimate that well. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously small town, nothing kind of, you know, a little bit of cultural difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't as much a cultural difference, you know, if you kind of, you know, from my family backdrop, I kind of feel like, um, rural, um, you know, especially I kind of grew up more, not like poor rural, but you know, just kind of this, um, you know, definitely has its spots. Um, you know, kind of uh my mom's side had a large um side of her family, you know, hundred cousins. And I was like actually the first one in, um to graduate um college out of everyone. So it kinda had that like sure still um you know, very open attitude through my mom's side of the family.
0: As in like you're you're like the big city smarty pants that went off and you're
1: uh, not not so much. Okay. It's more um just that culture I was able to break some barriers because of you know I think the level of openness small town because mm-hmm. I think in the in the city you have the level of openness too yeah um that people are just like they just put everything out there sure uh and so that's more um that kind of helped break some barriers but uh kind of what helped me to acclimate was actually a couple of the, the neighbors one his name was uncle Pete he was um this eighty year old uh you know elderly blind um man and he welcomed me he there's a bunch of older guys that would always stay on his front porch and he ended up uh calling out to me and say hey can you come over mm-hmm. um and then he the first interaction he ha- said to me he actually asked me uh are you uh when are you going to run out the place and then i was like i'm not i'm actually going to live here and then, he, like, they all kind of chuckled all the guys with him. Uh-huh. And he was like, you know, you know, this neighborhood's not for you. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so that was, like, my first, but he was just joking. Yeah. And kind of got to know him. And, you know, I feel like there's some guys who grow up, um, you know, or who live on the uh, on the block, and they kind of, like, know everyone. He was that type of guy. sure. And so kind of getting to know him, once I earned his trust, everyone in the, uh, else in the neighborhood kind of...
0: You know, earn their trust and respect too. Okay, awesome. So, um, so in the meantime, you said you were you were trying to do the the kind of the traditional youth ministry route and working at a factory. Um, did was this community kids idea like did the? It sounds like a pretty grassroots operation, at least from where it started. Kind of kind of walk me through like how that all got set up and put into motion.
1: Yeah. So didn't it really. Yeah, didn't intend to do ministry at all in the neighborhood. And so it definitely came, you know, just from the neighborhood. Uh, and so actually Pete, my neighbor, the, the neighbor, he actually, when I would sit on the front porch with him, something that he would always say to me is something that needs to be done for the kids around here. And so through that, I didn't really know what to, like what to do. Uh, but, you know, I had this youth ministry kind of passion but then also noticed a lot of the kids would go to the parks. So they'd get in fights. There'd be, you know, just kind of a lot of negativity. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up putting a basketball in my backyard, but just kind of put it up in my backyard because I like to play on, Um, you know, I like to play basketball. And so uh, through that, kids actually started trespassing in my backyard to play basketball. <laughs> and, and and so, yeah, and so I actually didn't... Uh, want to call the cops or didn't want to like get because everyone already thought i was wired by the cops so i just like all right i'll let them play you know and, and kind of as i got to know them just kind of got to know their stories you know kind of there's was uh, a lot of you know kids who maybe um you know their families you know a lot of single parent homes mm-hmm. um you know so i was like all right you know i can start kind of connecting with them you know kind of with the youth in mind um and with what pete said in mind and kind of through that got, you know, got to know them, and I actually started a Bible study with them uh, for, uh, you know, just kind of in the backyard. So mm-hmm. it's kind of just like me and like three or four boys that kind of started off, and then it just kind of grew and it kind of exploded from there.
0: Okay, but before we before we get too much farther, and I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back to this in just a second. But what was your what was your faith walk like? Because you, you grew up in a small town. Did you did, if you went to Cornerstone? I'm assuming you went in as as a Christian or quasi Christian or something like that. Maybe you're just curious. I don't know. What what was kind of give me kind of a, like a two minute synopsis of what your faith journey was like, kind of leading up to that point where you felt comfortable uh, facilitating a Bible study with uh, a bunch of neighborhood kids.
1: Yeah, my faith walk definitely at that point was pretty strong. Um, But kind of growing up, that's kind of what made it uh, strong was my parents uh, both made sure that I was involved in church activities, uh, youth group. Uh, They made sure I was, uh, you know, very, um, you know, kind of just raised in the right way. And so through that, I really got to uh, my understanding of who God is and what he wanted and it actually, my faith journey really began more when I was 10 years old. And so a lot of things have come full, full circle in my life. Mm-hmm. And so actually, when I was 10, it was during a missions conference at my church is when I uh, put my faith in Christ. And I remember at the missions conference, there's kind of this commissioning that they did. And they're like, now go change the world. Okay, <laughs> And I was like, oh. That's what we are supposed to do as Christians, mm-hmm. um, you know, because it was kind of mission-minded. And so then I remember the next week, there's actually, a, you know, even though it was kind of a small rural town, there's like this five-unit kind of, you know, uh, apartment that was kind of known as like a little bit of a drug house sure. in the community. Um, I feel like every kind of community has kind of that. Yep. And I end up uh, taking a Bible over there. I only knew one verse at a time, I think John three sixteen, and I end up basically having a church service with people on their front porch of, of this little place. And so that was as when a, I was- As a 10-year-old? Yeah, as a 10-year-old. No old. kidding. Yep. And so that's kind of what began kind of the journey. And so then, you know, kind of, you know, had this kind of thing. And then also, you know, I actually had a back basketball court in my backyard. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the community would come to my backyard to play basketball okay and you know and also kind of some of the kids who maybe are considered like the the kids who are like r- a little bit rougher you know um you know uh backdrop in the in the community they actually were playing in my backyard too and I was just kind of you know very open and just like hey you know come out over mm-hmm. and play and so kind of like had that mentality you know I think ingrained into me uh and then went up into high school and uh, you know, kinda typical high schooler, got sure. distracted with sports, different things, and God kinda took the back burner. And then it wasn't if it wasn't for actually spraining my ankle during I think my sophomore year, of basketball, that was taken away from me. So it was like that was like my passion. Yeah. And so that was taken away from me is when I like really started wrestling with God. Um, you know, became really depressed, um, even suicidal at a um certain point through it. But then God kind of brought me out, and then God was like, if you're going to follow me, and I'm going to be the one who satisfies your life, you have to start living for me. And so I ended up starting, me and a buddy of mine, we actually ended up starting a Bible study in the high school. It's kind of the first thing we call it the Bible Breakfast Club. And through that, um, you know, I kind of felt like I developed kind of this level of strength and boldness in the faith, Mm -hmm. Um, just knowing that God would provide. And uh, even if people made fun of me and because before that time in high school, I actually worried a lot about what people thought of me. But then after kind of starting the Bible study in the high school, I actually like, uh, you know, uh, basically it it flipped and where I just could care less what people thought of me. And I just like, I'm just going to like live out the faith. And so it just kind of continued on
0: until you know through college and even into the neighborhood. Gotcha. Okay. No, that's super interesting. So, Okay, that's good. That's good context to have. Yeah. So, so you like so th- this wasn't terribly out of the ordinary for you then to have you know a bunch of neighborhood kids coming over to your house playing basketball and then hey we're gonna talk about Jesus like yeah, that seems yeah. like it was almost par for the course yeah, for
1: you. Yeah. 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 It was, and especially you know thinking too um, through my mom, um, she actually had this very welcoming attitude uh, even within her house. I mean, we didn't have the nicest house, but it, we were always the spot for everyone to come to. Okay, uh, and then also, my grandma was the same way. Where even growing up, just had the mentality. You know, my grandma, she would welcome everyone, you know, into her house. And uh, you know, if there was someone who came over, and uh, you know, off the street or anywhere, she would put um something on the um on the burner, start cooking for them, and just kind of welcome them. Just that hospitality of like you know, open door policy. Mm-hmm. And I think, so that was kind of what I saw. And so just kind of reduplicated that basically in the Southeast side of Rap. So I didn't like really do anything out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. It was just normal to me that you just are hospitable, um, you
0: know, and just caring to people around you. Mm-hmm. So when did you really realize that this was something that you were going to, so at this point you're you're just living in the neighborhood, kind of doing your own thing. But then you kind of so, – so I'm assuming there was a point where a switch flipped kind of like before where you're just like, okay, God, like I'm, I am – this is this is what you put me here for? Is it, yeah. w- At what point did that kind of hit you or w- did it happen pretty early on or what, yeah. what was that like? Yeah,
1: I think it did. I think as I got to know the kids, it was pretty obvious that I developed a passion towards – um you know what they were going through their struggles and just kind of come alongside them and so uh I would say kind of but you know it was still kind of just like me and just a handful of kids but when it kind of really kind of started becoming more of a thing like whoa like there's actually a huge need not just here but in the next block and the next block um and how you know what can I do to actually make, you know, kind of a bigger impact here? I think it was probably a couple of years down the line. And then, you know, I don't know, like a part of the context too of like when everything kind of started too was actually I end up um, – so I was just kind of doing this on the side, but I actually got a job at um, the Kent County Correctional Facility. Okay. And actually as a social worker, I didn't even study social work. <laughs> um, and so through that, it gave me – I kind of actually – um, just kind of got the job. Just kind of through kind of a little bit of an internship. Kind of sure. with the Big Brother Big Sister program. So yeah. kind of had this like a little bit of this context.
0: So you got you got a job that people um, you know go to school for five years and pay tens of thousands of dollars to get a degree in.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so you know, and so I got to, I got the job at the correctional facility, and that kind of really was eye opening in a lot of ways too, because a lot of the kids who I saw in the community you know, some of their dads, I actually met through the correctional facility. Got it. And kind of saw the same patterns and mm-hmm. the same cycles. Uh, and so kind of had that. Uh, and, and it was kind of interesting too, because my prayer for the community was also that the dads would return to the homes. And through it, uh they actually told me I had to teach a responsible fatherhood class in the jail. And so it was like, God was like saying, all right, you want the dads to return home, be a part of this process. And so, you know, was doing the, my thing in the jail, but then also back in the community. And then, then also seeing, you know, both contacts of, you know, guys who are in the community who are getting trouble, they'd end up getting into the jail. Mm-hmm. And then the guys who, you know, coming out of jail would also get back in the community. So it was just like, you know, very eye-opening in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where, you know, just provide me a lot of education through just doing life mm-hmm. um, and, and being with people who are struggling Mm
0: -hmm. i think that a lot of people out there and i'll i'll throw like and especially christians i'll throw christians in the mix too are just so very unaware of that vicious cycle and i know it a little bit and i i got a very And I don't want to go into the full story, but I got a very brief glimpse at what the legal system is like from the inside, if you know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And I, but like, I think the fact that you got so involved and then you're able to see this, this, I'll call it a vicious cycle. You might refer to it as something else. Um, but you kind of set out to maybe break that cycle. Mm Mm-hmm. What's, so what's that, so what's that process like? (laughs) It's a very, very Very loaded question. Yeah. It's a
1: very rough process. Um, You know, it's when you're, you know, in the jail, our program, you know, there's, you know, some, you know, money set aside to try to curb some of the, um, you know, they call it recidivism, like the amount of times guys keep on coming back to jail. Okay. Um, so, you know, we had case management, counselors, drug programs, you know, all sorts of, you know, kind of resources thrown in to kind of help this um, end this cycle. And when I was kind of looking up, kind of research into kind of our program around the country, the statistic is with programs similar to us, if 5% of the guys change and never come back into the system of jail, then that's actually considered a success, successful program. 5%. 5%. Wow. But then it's also crazy, too, because you think, you know, like we're putting all this, you know, time, energy, investment in, but if 5% changed and never came back to jail, it actually saved the state like $2 million over a course of like okay. a, a few years. You know, just kind of like, you know, do the math of mm-hmm. like how much it costs to house inmates For and sure. all these things. Yeah. Where, you know, if we have 200 guys to go through and, Well, and then,
0: and you're not even, and I I could be wrong, but that probably doesn't even factor in like, you know, court costs and state sponsored attorneys and all things along those lines. If you can, if you can just remove 5% from just the legal system in general, like how, how much like, yeah, yeah, that seems like a pretty good return on investment. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and there's like different like things, you know, I think someone said, you know, says it's like every $1 you um, spend on education prevention saves you $2 on corrections. Mm-hmm. You know, just kind of different things like that. Sure. Um, but, you know, still like was like discouraged knowing that 5%, it's still 5% seems low. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, kind of thinking about it too, uh, you know, with, you know, the 5%, you know, and also just seeing all the people who say, you know, every person who goes to jail, they say, I'm never going to go back to jail ever again. And then the more I got into it, you know, like, the you know, stayed at the jail working, saw 95% of the guys go back to jail. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just kind of was very discouraging. And then also, discour- so that was kind of in my time in the jail, but then also discouraging in my time outside in the community where, you know, I'd be working, you know, with some teenage boys, and they'd be like, you know, I'd kind of see the the same patterns in their life that I saw in the inmates, and you know, I knew that the result would be that they'd be spending time in jail and they'd still choose, you know, I'd kind of speak into that and they'd still choose to follow those patterns and mm-hmm. end up in jail. So a lot of discouragement. And then, you know, even within, you know, a lot of the kids that, you know, we work with and, um, you know, because I meet a lot of kids through, you know, my basketball court, kind of more through the parks, through the streets. It's not a traditional Kind of where you meet kids at, um, Mm -hmm. type program. Like it's not like parents are, you know, signing a waiver form. Yeah, you know, and you know, have a parent who's like on top of it. I do. We do have, uh, you know, you know, now a lot of parents who kind of are like that, but then they're still, you know, just. I would say, and and this is like the part where, like, I don't necessarily want it to get out there too much, but I'm going to still say it because I think, you know, I feel like there's a. Within the demographic of like, I would say even, you know, um, the urban population, there's like two types of moms. There's the mom who's going to give you the whooping. Um, There's a kid who's raised in a house where the mom's going to give you a whooping if you're out past when the lights are on. Mm -hmm. But then there's also um, the demographic of kids where the mom doesn't even know where their kid's at Mm -hmm. after the the, the street lights go on. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of more the... Kids that we're running up against, okay, um you know sometimes is you know where they're just kind of out running you know and kind of being reckless, and there's just you know maybe not a father who's kind of you know will provide some discipline, you know, dad's in jail, mm-hmm. dad's in prison, and it's just um you know, and so when I'm thinking about you know my time in the jail, but then also thinking of lately. You know, if we could get 5% of the kids that we're working with to not end up in prison or shot or like, I'd be like, especially with some of the kids that, you know, come in contact with, I would consider that success, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's funny because actually the GRPD, they met with me a few months ago asking me what, you you know, they're like, you know, we heard about what you're doing, how great of things you're doing, uh, how, you know, you know, you're making a big impact in the community. Mm-hmm. And I was, I told them, I was like, if you're looking, cause they're looking for a program to kind of get behind. Mm-hmm. I was like, if you're looking for a successful program, like numbers and stats wise, we aren't the program. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the population, you know, that's kind of we're working with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's just kind of just fact when you have maybe even three kids, same household, Three different dads, all three dads are in jail. It's just you start getting to know the kids and start kind of trying to like walk with them. You're fighting it's, an uphill battle.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's just um What do you do what do you what do you do to keep from getting discouraged? Because based on the limited amount of information I have from what you've just told me, it sounds like, you know, you put you put your heart and soul into these kids. And because you love them and like, like it's, it's a very Christ like love that I see that you have for these kids. And uh, you, you don't win all of these battles. Mm-hmm. How, how, how do you keep from what it, what is it in your ethos that just keeps, keeps your ticker ticking? If I don't know a better word to say
1: that. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of, there is still, you know, you know, especially, you know, the measurement of success, you know, we kind of, like I'm not going to like have you know if the kid might not come become like a missionary or different things. Yeah, but if the kid actually like who stays out of jail, you know, maybe gets a job working at McDonald's, um, you know, stays out of trouble, doesn't get shot. Like I feel like wow, like we did a decent job, like mm-hmm. and he's actually sticking with his job, staying out of trouble. You know, that uh, uh, that kind of gives me m- some motivation. Yeah. Um. You know, it's kind of just, you know, you wouldn't think that, oh, like a kid, you know, working at, you know, 20, 21 year old working, you know, fast food or whatever factory, you know, mm-hmm. but like, that's like, whoa, like he's actually tracking pretty well compared to some other kids that, you know, he knows.
0: For sure. Well, I care a lot more. And again, a reason for doing this podcast is because I care a lot more. Well, I don't That's maybe not the right way to put it, but I, it does matter where you come from because, you could have the, you know, the kid of a hedge fund manager go on and, you know, become go to a good college and become an excess, a successful attorney. Like, th- that's a great, great accomplishment. But you, you have a kid come from a rough situation, um, you know, maybe a single parent, um, you know, maybe on welfare, maybe, you know, in a in not great school, maybe, um, you know, not, not just not really a good fit for because every kid learns different and some kids really struggle with school, um, myself included. Um, But like, you have somebody that goes from that situation to um, they graduate high school, maybe they learn a trade and they get a a good job making $40,000 a year. Like, I'm, I'm much more impressed by that than I am, hedge fund kid that goes on to be an attorney you know what i'm saying yep Yep. so the, yeah the amount of
1: struggle they had to overcome to get that absolutely yep yeah and so definitely you know, that kind of helps me and obviously you know just the strength of god uh is uh you know if it, it wasn't for god like i'd just walk out mm-hmm. um there's there's so many like and i don't want to share like the battles. Because it's kind of personal, and this is public, um, you know. But um, you know, my mentor told me that the community kids' office um, that it should become like a war room because of of the spiritual battles that's taking place. That like you're like going to war. Mm -hmm. Um, And the past few weeks, you know, past several months, the community kids' office. We got a small staff of you know, like a couple. You know, probably four or five people with some mentors, but like it literally is becoming a war room where we are arguing, debating, fighting, and praying and shedding tears over the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know where, you know there's are just kids, and I feel like the longer I stay in the game, it, it can you know you know I can become prophetic like, and just know what the result. Even at age eleven, the attitude that they have that the result is just gonna be, you know, really bad if they continue on that, and Mm -hmm. you can speak truth, you can plant seeds, but it's just so sad just to see when things keep spiraling Mm -hmm. down, and you just pray, and you just give it over to God, and it's just,
0: yeah. So, so n- now let's get a little bit more into community kids. So you you start this foundation. When, when did you when, when did this whole thing move from being just kind of a backyard basketball ministry to actually like, you know, you brought me a t-shirt today, which I greatly appreciate. I'm very excited about that. Yeah. But like this is like this is like a legitimate ministry. Do you like you're going around to different churches in the area, I'm assuming, talking about what what you guys mm-hmm. are doing in the community. That's that's how I first heard about you. Um when when like when did this first like get off the ground and you actually started, okay, this is official and we're, we're rolling.
1: Yeah. So kind of, um, there's kind of, I guess when I became kind of more in the ministry where I kind of got some of the training for it was actually through organization Youth for Christ. Okay. They gave me my first opportunity to kind of become like a mission area to, um, the community. Um, but I had to kind of step away from there, um, because the context, you know, I wanted to serve all the, um, all ages in the community, and um, and I wasn't, you know, Youth for Christ had the focus of teenagers, which was, you know, it's good, you know, I think every kind of mission has its focus, but, um, and so kind of, uh, you know, after leaving there, I was actually just thinking about just going to work at the f- uh, factory again, mm-hmm. but then I end up talking to a couple people at Crossroads, talking to a couple pastors at Crossroads Bible Church, and. They said, you know, hey, how about we help you launch an organization? And, you know, I thought, okay, you know, like, let's do this. Didn't really know how it would work out. Uh, and through it, and that was, you know, about three years ago where uh, they actually decided that they'd kind of become like an incubator to kind of help get me launched, you know, because you know, they call it, you know, foundation, organization, agency, um, or nonprofit, you know, but mm-hmm. like one thing I realized, and this is, you know, it's, I, I like calling it a four ca- cause, um, you know, foundation or, um, because you, you know, it's, it is kind of, you do need some resources. To Absolutely. Help, yeah. Uh, keep things moving. And so crossers provide a platform for those resources to come in. So, you know, I could sustain a living and also kind of provide some programming for kids. Mm-hmm. And so, Through that, um, you know, just kind of kept on growing. And it's kind of, you know, and I have a mentor kind of in the process too that kind of has come from, uh, you know, the business world. And actually a couple mentors, a couple people from Crossroads, a couple people kind of feed me in um, kind of some of the business mindset. And he even told me the first year of starting um, this four-cause organization um, to not ask a single person for money, even though they had the link on the Crossroads website. Yeah. And they had, you know, I think, I, you know, I would still share about the ministry, but I didn't make specific asks. and that was actually every the opposite of everything I learned, um, through, you know, m- being a missionary, mm-hmm. was that you have to ask, you know, for financial donations. Absolutely, and, yeah. And so I was like, this seems totally opposite. So that's what I did for a year. And he started- so
0: let me let me pause real quick. So Crossroads kind of just took the pressure yeah. off you and say, hey, we'll we'll back you financially. Yep. go do you go do and we'll we'll take care of stuff on the back end that's yep. basically yep. So what yep. you Yeah okay. so
1: that's so that's how it started and so that allowed me focus the first year on really doing kind of the work of the ministry mm-hmm. um 100% like you know not like a 40 hour week it was like 80 to 90 hours full force frontline work um you know i think you know, we're a mentoring organization more so, but I think at that time I was like probably meant, you know, I'd say like 50 kids considered me their mentor Okay. type thing. Yeah. Where, the
0: ratio is a little off. Yeah. The <laughs> ratio is a little
1: off, but then, you know, also 50 kids, you know, there's kids where they're like, you're like a spiritual dad to me. And I was like, I only meet with you like maybe like once or twice every like couple of weeks. Like, but this is your idea of what a, like a dad is. Yeah. But like you know, but I was still full force into like mm-hmm. loving and caring for the kids. Mm-hmm. Uh. What's that
0: like when you have when you have a kid that you see a couple you know once or twice a week that comes that 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 tells you like you're you're like the father figure in my life or you're the spiritual you're the spiritual leader that I like. When when you first started hearing that, what like. Did you feel like an enormous amount of pressure? Was it an honor? Like how what did that what did that make you feel like?
1: Yeah, it was yeah, I mean there's you know, a little bit of pressure, but just kind of like also just like, you know, realizing, you know, I just need to give the relationship over to God because he's entrusted me with this mm-hmm. and um you know, and steward my time, my energy well in, in uh in the relationship. And so I think you know, definitely felt like a sense of honor from like you know God more so too, um, you know that He would provide me this um, relationship to mm-hmm. um,
0: grow. Okay. So what are what are some things that you guys do on a day to day basis? Do you? Um, I've seen some stuff. You take some kids on trips sometimes to kind of uh, pull them out of their environment. Is is that kind of part of your ministry? It, it seems like. Every time I see something on Facebook, I'm just like, that is, that's so creative and out of the box of anything that I'd ever, I'd ever envision in a youth ministry, Yeah, but it seems like you guys kind of just utilize anything and everything that you can to move, move forward with these kids. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's, it's, you know, you know, our, the, our mission
0: statement is... We should have started with that, by the yeah, way, because yep, I knew so, you had one. Yeah. <laughs> so the mission statement, cause it,
1: you know, I, I was very deliberate in the mission statement. Um. You know, and it is it comes to mind, you know, when we do the things we do. And so the mission statement is transforming communities through kids by providing long term, life changing, worldview expanding relationships led by Christ. And so very deliberate in, you know, especially putting the last part, led by Christ. So we're Mm -hmm. very prayerful in what we do. Yeah. Um, and I think being led by Christ, it does he did things I think out of the box. You know, he um you know, probably people question how he did things, you know, so we're kind of led by Christ in what we do, but I think, you know, in that, um, you know, we, you, we have the worldview expanding part of, uh, and this is kind of some of the model of some research even that was shared about walking along kids is a lot of times kids, um, you know, who grow up not in the faith, their faith journey starts with being invited to a conference, a camp, getting outside the um the normal day-to-day mm-hmm. distractions yep. where they first hear about Christ and so that's kind of you know we do that worldview expansion not just getting them into um you know hearing God's word but also seeing God's creation revealed to them absolutely And so we'll take them as far as places the UP to waterfalls to i mean you know, to Florida, like you name it, we're, um, you know, we'll make it happen. Um, and just kind of showed the kids that, you know, there's different opportunities for them. Mm -hmm. What? Go ahead. So, yeah, sorry. And so that's the worldview, but then also life changing realizing, you know, we can do only so much, but that it also really takes the whole family get on board Mm -hmm. uh, with it, where I think. You know what's the statistics? If a, if a kid um, hears about Christ, accepts Christ, um, but then both parents aren't um, involved in the faith, they have like a fifty percent likelihood of like staying in the faith. Mm-hmm. You know, I think if mom's involved in the faith, they have like a fifty percent chance of like staying involved in faith. But if a dad's involved in the faith, then they have like a you know 80 percent chance of yeah. staying involved in faith. And so like taking that in mind, I was like. We've been, in the past few years, really pushing towards family programs. Mm-hmm. And so actually, you know, I think youth ministry and, you know, I, you know, if I was to write a book, I think youth ministry actually is going to, like, change over the next years where youth ministry might, like, you know, not be what it is, um, where it's going to be more family ministry because, mm-hmm. um, you know, it really takes a family unit to get on board in the process of developing a kid's faith. Mm -hmm. And so we've been doing family camps, um, family retreats, uh, dad's Bible clubs, mom's Bible clubs, where kids will be there at the Bible club itself, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in their own home. Uh, And you just kind of a a wide kind of range of different opportunities for kids to kind of, Proceed that
0: life changing process and making sure that sticks. Mm-hmm. That was actually one of the things that I wanted to lead into today because it just seems like, um, and I and I'm not super privy to the history of how we got here. I just know that we're here um, with divorce rates being in the fifty something percents or something like that, and plus you add in kids that are born out of wedlock with you know fathers that either leave or mothers that leave, whatever the case may be you know that to me it just seems like when you're when you're i give me some latitude on this but when you're when you're working only with kids you're working with the, the lowest common denominator right mm-hmm. and but because it, you can do and say and make all of these differences in the world but at the end of the day they return to a broken home where things aren't being you know the, the you know parents aren't living you know aren't even remotely interested in raising their kids in a godly way or they're that's, or that's not the case. It, it That to me just seems like that's, that's probably where the struggle is. Am I, am I mistaken by saying that or am, am I kind of, am I? Yeah, no. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That
1: is exactly, it, you know, where, you know, they have, you know, it has to be a, you know, the family has to be on board, or else you know you return back to home, and you know mm-hmm. the cycles continue,
0: yeah, so let's talk about let's kind of shift gears a little bit. I want to come back to community kids stuff, but this is this is probably the hardest part about this interview for me, and i uh, we'll see where we go with it but um i don't I don't like talking about race. It's not something I'm super comfortable with. Um, just uh, being open and transparent about it. Not from the sense that I don't like people that are different for me. That's that's not the case whatsoever. I just I it bothers me when people um, want to treat people differently because of just of the color of their skin. Like I believe that the color of your shirt says ten times more about you than the color of your skin. I just mm-hmm. to my perspective on it. And again, I I have a narrow perspective on it Mm because from a country um most of my friends are white um and and it's just the the reality of my situation (sighs) um it to me it just seems like i i i from my standpoint i i try to treat everybody the same and but i also understand that we're very different culturally what were some things that you ran into um because I'm, I'm sure you've been called honky and cracker more times than you care to admit. Um, Mm -hmm. what were some, how are you able to break down some of the cultural barriers?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. I mean, especially in today's climate. Yes. But then it's like, still, I feel like it's more this political kind of like attitude towards it. But like, In the day to day neighborhood, you know, once I, people kind of like saw me for who I was, like I didn't really, in the neighborhood, I don't really deal with it as much, like as people would think, but there's like more from the outsiders coming in, there's still this level of, oh, here's this white guy who's trying to save the day, you know, Mm -hmm. like kind of like there's, more from outsiders who don't know me, who um, don't, like, know everything. They more just kind of the first thing they look at is my co- skin color. For sure.
0: They but, don't know that you live in that neighborhood that yep. you're trying to yep. l- affect. Yep. <laughs> then
1: for people who know me, even though that might have been the first impression that they got was skin color. Sure. After you get to know someone, they're a, it's a person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, And so... I think you know I have overcome you know it through like just like getting to know people um you know and I'm a very you know big fan of getting to know people who are different than yourself you know you know just to see like yeah we're actually there's some some simila- sim- similarities there mm-hmm. and so you know I think um you definitely have dealt with some um you know kind of resistance to- because of my skin color um, you know, and it would make it a lot easier if I had a different skin color, mm-hmm. um, you know, but, you know, at the end of the day to, you know, cause community kids itself, you know, people might perceive it as a very, we have a lot of white mentors, you know, white board, white staff, they might see as, okay, that's another like organization, but we're, sure. you know, there's not a lot of people who I think do some of the stuff that our mentors are willing to, like, go with, mm-hmm. with the kids. You know, showing up midnight at kids' houses who are suicidal. You know, you just, you name it, they're there in the thick of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've, you know, I've been, a, you know, accused, actually, of, you know, being the youth ministry guy that's singing, this white guy who sings Kumbaya with the kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, where does that come from? I'm pretty from? sure that's, like, the first thing I said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is. <laughs> yeah, I was I'm just joking. But... Yeah, the, you're joking, but that that's what, like, the outsiders coming in think that we're just like this, but there is a lot of struggle in it that people don't realize. And I think, you know, I think race does have a, you know, a factor in that.
0: Mm. Do you feel like that sometimes when you're, working with with a kid and you know you're a white dude you're working with a black kid do you think that sometimes your words may fall on deaf ears just because of that that they think that you can't relate to what they're going through how how do you how do you put yourself on in their shoes when you're communicating with them and say you know like because i from my uneducated Perspective. It seems to me like you would get pushback from the sense of you don't know what I'm going through. Do you get a lot of that, or have you no. found ways to kind of navigate through those well, waters? Some of
1: that, but I feel like I was a lot of the kids like who would consider me their like mentor. Like I feel like they would say I know what they're going through because I'm in their home a few hours a day, mm-hmm. or like so I actually. Maybe know more what they're going through than someone who has the same, you know, skin color of them, but they live in outside the neighborhood, and also didn't wasn't raised in the same type of context that sure. they were, where you know maybe they had both parents, sure. maybe they had, um, was raised inside a church, you know, kind of, you know, God fearing environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I kind of, I feel like I break that barrier by just being with them okay, and knowing what they go through. And so I think that's where I'm able to maybe speak into their lives, you know, if I didn't really know what their struggle was.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So. No, that's, that's, that's really good feedback. So what's your, um, what's your vision? Like, well, before we get into vision, let me ask you this. What's your and you don't ha, don't name names, but like what has been your like your best success story that like like when it, when things suck, like you can kind of like you know p- like think back to, man I like I made a difference in this kid's life and I can see that today.
1: Yeah, because I don't want to name you know like just like I don't want to name any names with like so, stories of kids who uh, went to you know. The, you know, the negative route, I don't want to like tokenize sure like kids who went to positive route. Cause mm-hmm. I feel like that happens, you know, I don't want to, you know, even some, you know, maybe things I say, I want to be, you know, if the kid was here, you know, would they feel like I'm like, you know, making an example of them almost like, mm. um, you know, that it's not just a friend, um, you know, because you know, these kids, there are my friends, hmm. um, but I'd say any time, uh, you know, a kid ends up leading back, you know, and um, either by becoming a volunteer or a mentor or a camp counselor mm. or, you know, kind of end up sharing, you know, the Bible back to the kids. Yeah. Um. I feel like that's um. You know, and there's been several examples of that. I feel like that kind of gives. Me, the, you know, kind of the extra like, okay, this is yeah. a good thing um, for these few kids that have kind of stayed the straight and narrow and are actually leading back into the community. Well,
0: no, that's, and that's great because we were talking about spiritual warfare earlier, but, and right now I think you're very effective with doing what you're doing. But I think when you become, when community kids becomes dangerous in, in the fight against Satan is when you build an army of kids who are coming through your program who are turning around and reciprocating yeah. what you've taught yeah. them yeah. with the people that are coming yeah. into the program
1: yeah yeah and i would say like probably five six years ago i was a little bit more bullish in thinking that there'd be a lot more mm-hmm. kids um you know but then even now like we're walking with some kids and i've like i'm telling these kids you know there's like a couple 10 11 year old kids i say by the time you're like 18 19 if you weren't like becoming like a camp counselor or, you know, I I, I actually already created a couple of positions for them or within the organization. And I said, if you don't take this position, I'm actually going to quit my job. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like, and, but then in it, those kids, it's going to take a lot for them to like, where I'm going to like be okay with them taking the position too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because, you know, they I can't have a staff member, you know, punching a kid, you know, once they start
0: mouthing off. For sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That, that also true. Also true. There has to be some, some, uh, some sculpting done throughout that whole process. But, um, so, yeah, we're coming up on time here. All right. We want to thank you for tuning in today, Donnie. Thank you for coming on the show. I would greatly appreciate it. Yes. Yes. It was great. Thank you for your time. Awesome. All right. And uh, as a reminder, um, we uh, if you want to check out what Donnie's doing, go to communitykids.org. Uh, the link is in the description below. Again, that's communitykids.org. Um, hey, if you're in the Grand Rapids area and you want to get physically involved, that's great. I know I got a lot of listeners in Texas, Indiana. uh oklahoma missouri uh and a bunch over on the east coast too if you guys want to get financially involved uh let's uh let's let's shock donnie with uh with uh what what you guys can do um and i know there's a handful of you guys out there who've been incredibly uh, generous uh contributing to the show uh let's show donnie that we appreciate him for coming on um, on here. And he did not ask me to do that. I'm just doing that because I want to. So, uh, thanks for tuning in y'all. And, uh, we will catch you on the other side. Take care.